Oh, hi, it's Crystal here. You know, your favorite hairy lady from RuPaul's Drag Race UK season one. And I hate to say it, but the titty tree in The Last Unicorn made me queer. <laughs> Welcome to The Things That Made Me Queer, the podcast that explores queer identities using the pop culture and personal moments that shaped us. Each week, I will interview a special guest who will bring a person, a place, a piece of music, a film or TV series, and a wild card that help them understand, accept, or embrace their queerness. Fabulous. Before we get into the episode, some news. This is the last episode of season two. Ah! We're going out with a bang, though, as you've probably seen from the guest. And I am hoping we will be back with more episodes before too long. Um, it has been such a treat making this season for your ear holes. And I really hope that you've enjoyed listening. My guest today is true drag royalty the winner of dragula season three and one of the most creative inspiring and talented entertainers out there today not only that i think they might be the most famous drag king in the world wow what a brilliant way to wrap up the season uh they have had such an interesting life and we have a lovely chat about dark cinema about staying creative over the past year that we've had about rock and roll, and lots, lots more. I think that you're going to love it. So, without further ado, welcome to the podcast, the cool, the creative, the genre-defying, Landon Cider. So, my guest today is Drag Royalty. The winner of Dragula Season 3 and one of the most creative, inspiring, and talented entertainers out there today. Not only that, but I think they might be the most famous drag king in the world. Is that possible? Welcome to the podcast, the intimidatingly cool Landon Sider. Hello. Hi. 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 I'm so excited to be here. And just just to everyone know again, Crystal's looking very, very tasty with the with the short haircut. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Thank you. Yeah, everyone needs to know. <laughs> <laughs> Will you take the title of the most famous drag king in the world? Is that a title you accept? Um, I take it, but not not happily that doesn't make right. me happy because i shouldn't be <laughs> you know like there, there should be someone more famous there should we should just share the fame like we should there should be so many more kings that are recognized and elevated that i shouldn't be at this point yes. in our history like are you kidding me but i mean amen I'm, yeah yeah but happy for your own success exactly because i do like gigs <laughs> yeah. and i like money so <laughs> okay before we get into it, can I just ask, uh, how do you identify and what are your pronouns? I identify as a cisgendered female lesbian and my uh, personal pronouns I are she, her, hers. And when I'm in drag, I do prefer um, he, him, his. Got it. Perfect. Yeah. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. um, so, Landon, your rise, I think, happened at the exact same time as mine because our series were airing at the exact same time mm -hmm. drag race uk season one and dragula i think i was eliminated like a day after you won 
Um, so, so we've had like a similar kind of experience, I think, just in like the last, what, 18 months being a little bit weird. Yeah. Like great and also weird. How's it yes. been? Uh, highs and lows, you know, I'm grateful to be healthy. I'm grateful to not have lost, um, many people, uh, some of my friends to get sick, but you know, I'm grateful for, for, um, my health and the health of people that I love around me. Uh, so personally, I, I shouldn't complain. I live within a lot of privilege in my life and, uh, you know what? Nothing, but I did have some, some, uh, personal kind of, I guess struggles during COVID when it comes to missing the stage and insecurities and stuff mm. that I'm, I'm battling through. So I'm on the, on the mend, I guess I could say. So, which is good. Time to celebrate. Are you back on stages now? Not yet. That's part of my, my, my journey right now. Uh, I haven't really gone public with it. So I, this will be the first time I, I guess even chat even lightly about, uh, I've had a lifelong struggle with uh, my relationship with food. And that really came out in a really intense way during COVID. So I gained a lot of weight where I currently don't fit into any of my costumes. So I cannot work right now because I don't have anything wow. to wear. So it's one of those like FOMO, like crazy watching everyone perform and getting down with, you know, getting back to normal and living this life again. And, you know, but just focusing on me and I've lost some weight and I'm focused and I'm feeling healthier. So it's all in the good and good process of things. It's just that mental state of <clears throat> you use food to make yourself feel better. And then you end up feeling worse because you get, you get dig yourself deeper, double edged yeah. sword. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. sorry to hear that. And it's okay. Um, yeah. Thank you, for, thank you for sharing it. I'm sure people can relate, you know, at mm -hmm. different levels. Um, if, Maybe your career, your passion isn't a, is it vanity? So <laughs> you're, you don't have like the world looking at you too. And literally it's just the fact that I, things don't button up and things don't zip up and I don't have stretched dresses like a lot of queens yeah. do. So my, <laughs> my outfits are pretty structured. <laughs> yeah. Tailoring. I, I, mm -hmm. I have never really considered how. Yeah, the, a lot of my wardrobe will just change with me as needed to a degree. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to add a panel here, add a panel there. And you sew, so you can do that yeah. relatively easily. Like, I'm not, when I sew, it's it's a crazy mess underneath. Do not, if I make anything, don't flip it inside out because it's going to be like a tangled <laughs> web of thread. <laughs> a web of lies. A web of a lies. Web of lies. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that, I, I'm not I'm certainly not trying to minimize your experience, but all entertainers are probably are coming out of this period with like some kind of insecurity. And if you're of not, you're probably not being honest. Of course. Um, and definitely for me, like I realized a couple of weeks ago, I was going to be on stage for the first time in six months. And, you know, the UK has had like a really weird kind of seesaw where it's like, we've been allowed to do things and then we haven't, and then we mm -hmm. have, and then we haven't, we haven't. And I think in the, states especially in la i think it's just been more consistent like just no for longer right yeah we were just but, no for a really really long time yeah mm -hmm. yeah but since you know since covid and everything there's been a new season of drag race and i've I, you know i had insecurities about whether or not the world had just moved on and and like whether or not i still had any relevance in this new world as things reopened and basically i think if you don't have an insecurity then you probably 
don't have a drive to get on stage. So right. hopefully you can find some strength in it and some impetus to... Thank you. Yeah, I think it's kind of like with the same thing. Like if you have a little bit of stage fright, if you're a little bit of nervous, every time you go on stage, it kind of just shows to yourself that you care. So yeah, I mean, there are moments where I'm much more confident than others, but, and I've had some opportunities and some um, like filming opportunities that I do have to get into full drag. And I feel, I feel my, my manly oats again. Uh, just the other day, I filmed an interview uh, for a documentary. So I got into full drag and it was nice to kind of have that this is so funny and back to egotistical and like narcissism i think we talked about before we started to um record but uh getting compliments Mm. that like getting getting an energy from an audience even if the audience was like the crew it's still behind cameras and sets and lights it's still like having that kind of oh okay that that positive reinforcement come in my way was was light, but it was still, okay, yeah, that's, this is still there. And like you said, uh, staying relevant has been kind of a struggle, I think, for a lot of us. Like you said, did, did the world move on? You know, I know my season uh, of my show, they take their time filming their season. So uh, I haven't had a new cast or a new show to watch go by, but it's still been that, am I relevant? Do people still care? Uh, and I'm doing digital drag things and being live and, uh, keeping myself and pushing myself creatively throughout COVID has really um, been helpful artistically, but also draining because you kind of put everything out Mm. and not, you know, be able to get the money back. So you're trying to just work with what you got since you can't invest at the moment. So it is definitely a huge shift when you realize like you've just been basically performing for a green dot for a year (laughs) and then suddenly you're in front of an audience like, Oh, Oh yeah, this is why I do this. Yeah, this is like yeah. this this feedback, this validation. Mm-hmm. Would you say that the bulk of your drag is about kind of live performing, or have definitely? And has that shifted since Dragula? Like, are you? Is there more TV stuff happening? Is there more the other the other sides of it? I would like more TV stuff to happen, but uh, not much uh it's been mostly live and i come from like i'm a stage baby and a musical theater and theater person like most of my life anyway so it's always been about creating stories and taking audiences to a different place within a stage like performance setting so that is where i thrive the most i think that's that's what i'm looking forward to the most is just getting on a stage Mm. and and taking someone on a on a journey with me for whatever Mm. performance or character or story i'm telling uh that's that's been my favorite and that's what i'm looking forward to the most and that is what i've missed a lot and my my digital drag stuff has kind of taken um the way i imagine myself when i'm on stage and creating these stories and mixes uh i've always thought of it as like a music video so in my head i'm like i have all these lighting cues and this and sets i'm like yes it's yeah. work bitch and like in my head i'm living this crazy music video fantasy and digital drag kind of helped me like create that a little bit more was teaching yeah. myself editing and green screen and all the bullshit and the hard self-taught lessons uh but so it's kind of been helpful where i got to create these new versions of my storylines and i and I've said this a couple times um i've always kind of felt that our responsible, our responsibility as drag artists have always been to, uh, you 
create space, like work within spaces that are safe spaces for a queer community and be the entertainment and distract from a shitty day, whether it was a life of homophobia or just a shitty day in general, and go to your safe space and then you see a performer and they take you away and they let you forget all that and just take you to this new place and laugh and love and and shit and cry and dance and all these different emotions. Um, hopefully not shit on stage, unless you're a filthy queen, which <laughs> you're welcome to do that too. <laughs> Art is art. <laughs> art is art. <laughs> art. But um, through digital drag, I felt the same kind of responsibility. Like I kind of felt as a drag artist, you are in your safe space at home. Hopefully it's a safe space for you. And you're looking at us to distract you from the craziness of the world. So hopefully mm. I, I continue that um, with my digital drag as well. But I'm looking forward to getting back on stages and see that as a that's a past that i look fondly at but don't want to repeat so everyone yeah. get vaccinated and wear a mask please <laughs> yeah yeah seriously mm -hmm. well yeah that's a beautiful way of looking at it and thank you um thank you for putting yourself out there i i certainly have not had the energy to do it and i really respect the people who have i've done i've done bits and pieces but like and the stuff you do is every single look is unique for you you don't like your social media doesn't repeat you don't have oh i'm gonna i mean i'm sure you have uh bits and pieces and accessories that you, re you reuse but like head to toe outfits you create like brand new makeup designs like I wouldn't be able to do that either. Like, <laughs> that's a lot of work. Yeah. Oh, thanks. Mm -hmm. Thanks. It's respectable. Well, back at you. I'm a huge fan. Thank you. And Landon, should we get into the things that made you queer? Yeah, I think it's about time. Person. So here we go. The first thing on your list is your person. And you have said, Punky Brewster. <laughs> yes. Oh man! Uh, so <laughs> unofficial. As how like old him. are you? Uh, yeah, <laughs> seriously. Um, Punky Brewster is not really in my wheelhouse particularly. I think maybe they weren't a big thing in Canada, and then definitely for anyone in the UK, they probably won't have heard of Punky mm -hmm. Brewster. So, tell us a little bit about what Punky Brewster is. Punky Brewster is a sitcom in the early '80s. Uh, I think it ran for just like three or four seasons. Um, and it's about this little orphaned girl. I hate that term, but little orphaned girl who um, <laughs> gets kind of a foster parent by this older gentleman. And it's that kind of, you know, odd couple balance. Um, mm. But it's very 80s and very cheesy. But she is this little badass bitch. And she has this... <laughs> <laughs> like she is just so charming and um Soleil Moon Fry is was the actress and she was, I don't know, maybe like eight uh when all this happened or for her as as a little actress and she's so I don't know, uh confident and sassy and um self uh what's the word? Um she knows herself so well. What's that? Yes, like self-actualized Yeah, very uh, self-actualized is a great term for it. And you see that from the very first episode. And she's this, she has this iconic style where she wears mismatched shoes and bright colored vests with like very 80s, but very unique to her as well. And it's just her kind of journey trying to find her mom who abandoned her. And she has her little circle of friends and they have their adventures. Um, yeah, and it's, 
typical 80s American sitcom. Right. And were you mm-hmm. a little Punky Brewster? I wish I was. I right. definitely, uh, we could not afford to dress me like Punky Brewster because <laughs> as, a, as a little, like, she, she supposedly has no uh, family and friends and she's like, even in the little uh, intro for the show, you see her at the grocery store with her puppy because she has her best friend as her puppy or grows up to be a dog. But um, asking people to like carry their groceries to their car and hopefully they, they would tip her. Like, so she supposedly has no money, but she has the money to buy like two pairs of shoes and then mismatch right. them whenever she wants. Like, <laughs> it's not really uh, an affordable look when you're little, when you don't have like a lot of money. But I wish I did. But she did have this, like, she would tie bandanas around her pants and then one around her arm and then another one around her neck. Like, she had all this crazy kind of sense where you could, like, fake it till you make it. But uh, she was more just that sassy, strong, confident, I don't need anyone, but I will take the help. She wasn't too... Right. Too in herself to be like, I don't need you. No. She was like, well, I do want to sleep in shelter (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) and what about in terms of personality did you have it did you have that were were you seeing something that you had or were you seeing something you wanted definitely seeing something that i wanted to have uh i was a single um i was an only child um being raised by my single mother and uh she had a lot of like disabilities and stuff that that um, made it more difficult for her to give me everything that she wanted that didn't stop her from trying so i had i was Spoiled in the sense of uh, shown lots of love and shown lots of um, support. And my mom would do anything to mm-hmm. support all my interests. So I had confidence being taught to me. And I had om- almost like that bratty, I want to be the star of the show kind of personality for a minute. And uh, it, there's another character called called Margot in the series, and she's that privileged, bratty kind of, oh, I want to be the star kind of character. And mm-hmm. I think I saw that I was kind of like Margot, but I didn't want to be because she was annoying <laughs> and I wanted to be more like punky. So I had both of my like yeah. who I was, who I don't want to be and who I want to be in the same show. Mm-hmm. Got it. And you mentioned to me earlier that you're like that you kind of come from a theatrical mm-hmm. background. Had how old were you when you were watching this and had you started to discover that or is that kind of to come? Yeah, that's still to come. That's still, uh, I, when I started to perform in like junior theater and, and school productions, uh, I remember looking back at, um, Soleil Moon Fry and knowing that there was an actress performing as Punky and, knowing that there must have been a difference and how does she do that and kind of use it as inspiration for, mm. um, I could do that, but I didn't understand really how it worked yet. Cause I didn't come from a, from a family that had any knowledge of theatrical performances or, or anything. Yeah. So I kind of moved my way in that through school and learned about it and then started to do junior theater within the community, uh, as I grew more passionate about performance. And you mentioned that you were quite, I don't remember what the word you used was, but I don't want to use the word ballsy, but I'm trying to think of another word. Big clit, word big clit energy. Ballsy I, my ovaries yeah, are huge. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, how was that received by the world? Were you getting positive feedback for that? I was. Uh, I had, I peaked 
uh, in sixth grade. Thank you. I was like uh, babes, super popular. <laughs> I was super popular, but like I have pop face and I um, did have like a very 80s style in the way I would comb my hair. My mom was a uh, uh, kind of hairdresser, but kind of just did it on the side. So she would perm my hair and teach me how to style it so that I could really be like, get my sassy uh personality out that sounds really really cool <laughs> and then I, went to, I wish no, i'd known you, you don't at <laughs> <laughs> least like in fifth fourth and fifth and sixth grade yeah i was i was cool and then i went to junior high where the whole like over summer the entire fashion sense changed and I was, I went to school in that same kind of, oh, my big 80s hair and my like outfit. And everyone was like, what the fuck are you wearing? Like, and I didn't get it. And ever since then, I struggled with style. <laughs> Couldn't quite catch up. I love that. I love that. Um, where did you grow up? In LA, East LA. So, yeah. Okay. Uh, and it, we moved to uh, a Whittier because the area that we were, I was living in got a little too ghetto and um, dangerous. I don't want to say ghetto in a bad way. I just mean dangerous. Um, and so my whole family moved to a nicer area in Whittier. And when I went to junior high, every, it was very, 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 um, I think it was like 95% Mexican um, uh, diversity was mostly just maybe like four and a half percent whites and then the rest were people of color it was like really really latino and i'm half mexican and half white but i'm very 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 white passing and i've always known that um especially my mom kind of encouraged me where she would put highlights in my hair and didn't want me to look or have um just like the trollas or the trollos like the gangsters in the area um mm -hmm. because she knew like it, my life would be easier if i was more white passing so she was always trying to like and she didn't take when she divorced my dad she kept my our last name which was Carr, um which is very white her last name was sandoval so she kind of always was like you're white passing so this is your privilege you keep looking white and i didn't want to because i was such a minority i was almost being like not bullied, but, oh, that's this little white girl. Like, we don't want to deal with her. So I was mm -hmm. always wanting to, like, dress in, like, the troll outfits. And my mom would be like, no, you can't do that, don't. <laughs> don't look like a troll out, please. It was dangerous. And she knew, she, she got me out of that, not to, like, see me get back into it when we moved. Um, so there's some kind of uh, self, self shame and knowing that I was white passing. And I, as I grew older, I learned to, to use that privilege and platform and and when i hold a microphone i have you know just that privilege alone of being white passing is more and to still speak on my culture because i still identify very much with my um like mexican culture and uh i wish i learned i knew the language more i can get by it was conversational spanish but uh it's always been kind of like an identity not crisis but conversation that i had with myself growing up yeah mm -hmm. yeah I can really, well, I can't imagine what it's like to just kind of straddle two worlds mm -hmm. like that, especially at an age of like junior high where everything else is right. changing and everything's going mental and internally yeah. as well. It's like, yeah, that must have been a real, a real struggle. It was, but I mean, I still had, in the long term effect of everything, it, I, 
I know I'm not supposed to compare my life struggles with anyone else's because everyone's on their own and they can't. But like <laughs> in the long term, I didn't have it that bad. I had a very supportive family. My mom loved me. She was just one of my best. And she just wanted me to wear the clothes that she kept making. And they were matching fluorescent clothes. And I was like, I can't wear that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wear matching fluorescent clothes anymore. Oh. <laughs> uh... It sounds amazing. So your mom was highlighting your hair, giving you a perm, and give, making you head to toe fluorescent yes. outfits. Like I wish I had that now. I imagine eighties kid I dream. Know. Seriously, <laughs> incredible. Your mom sounds like an icon. She really is. <laughs> well, I think maybe that moves us on to your next item. So let's let's head on over. Film or TV series. Your next item is your film or TV show, and you have said Return to Oz. Oh, Return to Oz. That one. Uh, have you seen it? Okay. Yes. Actually, I had only, I had seen it like 10 years ago, so I refreshed oh, myself very last cool. night. And yeah, yeah, it's so weird. So weird. <laughs> it is so weird. Yeah. It's for little for the bulk, being gorgeous and beautiful and that really, again, a charming, strong, independent little girl. Mm-hmm. That is very much still the vibe of Punky Brewster. Um, yeah, actually, now you say yeah. it. Yeah, they they could you could kind of swap them out. You Imagine really Punky Brewster could. and Oz. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, she would have gotten so much more trouble. <laughs> uh, she had a dog, so it's the same kind of like thing. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, but Oz is is. I, not this, but I guess it is a sequel to Wizard of Oz. Um, but totally like Wizard of Oz is supposed to be a lot darker, but of course the, the film we all know and love is, is a lot brighter and lighter. Um, but Return to Oz really took it back to its dark and weird and fucked up roots. Um, and actually the documentary that I just filmed the interview for was about queer horror. And so, mm. uh, and relation, your relationship to queer horror and for drag artists specifically, they were wanting to know, um, what about it kind of molded your possibly inspired your drag character. And, uh, so I really kind of deep dive into my history and my connection with horror. And I returned to Oz was one of those first ones where I didn't realize it was horror at the time because it's weird and dark and scary but I still didn't think of it as horror until as an adult thinking back at it and we had it on VHS and I watched it a lot and there's this character in it called Mambi and she's this I haven't watched it in a long time but um this kind of queen character and you think she's there to help Dorothy and brings her into her like enchanted castle and then you see she looks at Dorothy's face and she's like, oh, you're so pretty. I'm going to lock you up in my tower until you get old enough and then I'll steal your head. And you're like, what? <laughs> and she goes into this room and she has this glass, like wall to wall, I don't know, like maybe 30 heads of women locked in these little glass mm-hmm. uh, chambers with a key. And she goes up to one, she takes her head off and puts it in there and then walks over to another one and takes that head off and puts it on. And it's drag, it's honey. It's fucking drag. <laughs> There's no way to deny that's drag. And also, talk about a lesbian icon. Like, 
like the dikiest of dikes is mommy because she literally has women's heads. If I could take my head off, the things I would do to myself, like, can you understand? (laughs) (laughs) Now, you cannot tell me that mommy is not a lesbian. She just kept the. She just kept the heads. She just kept the heads. You really just kept the heads, and they're all like beautiful women. A lot of them. They are hot. They're just like boring to me. Like not not that bo- like white women aren't boring, but like there was really not like a nice array of diversity of her of her women. True. So that kind of didn't get me much. It was more about just the fact that she can just like pick any head any day she wants. Yeah. 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 Mombi is creepy as hell. Mm-hmm. Um. I found actually on the rewatch last night that it was the wheelers that really bugged me just because they were all like middle-aged balding men yeah. <laughs> chasing and then the, this little girl and then around. The way it really that they're like hunched me. over and like with their single yeah. wheels, totally creepy and weird. Yeah. yeah. And it, also they're attacking her in a, in a land of stairs. And uh, that also just didn't really make sense. I'm like, Stairs plus wheels, like it just doesn't really. I mean, it's not right. Skate- skateboarders do it all the time. <laughs> true. And true. Jack is very gay. You think of Jack the pumpkin, uh, the pumpkin head yeah. guy. Uh, he was created by his mom with like a fairy dust, and then left left alone. And he doesn't know where his mom is, and he's looking for his mom. Like he he just wants, and then he asks Dorothy if he can call her mom because he just wants a new family. So it's kind of very, very coded or symbolic of of being created and then left alone to find your own chosen family mm. as you go through a journey. Yeah. yeah. And Jack went on to inspire Jack Skellington. Yeah. I think, uh-huh. I, like I think that's what I remember reading too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a really cool film. And I guess it's interesting because I hadn't really considered it as horror either, mm-hmm. but it's almost like horror for kids. Yeah. Cause it's definitely like the kind of thing that would be traumatic as a child. Yeah. It's got that same, energy as the labyrinth mm-hmm. and i was traumatized as a child by the the muppets that take their heads yeah. off oh, g- and they want to and they want to take off yeah they want to take off jennifer connelly's uh-huh. head and they're like hey will you yeah, take my head kind of yeah like, yeah and they're all jumping um, and they're like all at you jumping in the sky <laughs> yeah for sure yeah. those are scary and so do you look back at that as like a as a source like yeah you were saying that you kind of reevaluated your perspective on it it's like is that where the horror started for you my very very first horror film was uh nightmare on elm street four um and that was right around the time that we started to get a lot more vhs i think we either just got a uh vcr for the first time i'm not sure how the evolution of my personal family but um we started going to the blockbuster every weekend and getting a handful of movies and and i think uh some of the ones that I really liked, I would either get as, get as gifts, but um, I remember being gifted, uh, not being gifted, but having in the house Return to Oz at some point in my childhood. The actual years, I don't remember, but yeah, I'm uh, very, I watched a lot of horror films um, growing up, but Return to Oz was definitely one that I, I think that horror adjacent, like you said, for, for mm. kids. Um inspired me in that fantasy it wasn't and that's that's probably why i like nightmare on elm street 4 too or nightmare on elm street series in general because it's very fantastical and literally you can't you can do anything in your dreams and wizard of oz is is that concept and return to oz is very much she's supposed to be dreaming um so it's it's very much dream elements and 
possibilities are endless. Mm. Is that what you like about horror in general? The, the fantasy? Yeah. Also the uh, practical effects. Practical effects are right. CGI is wonderful. And I'm, I'm so happy to see uh, digital art being celebrated that way. But nothing will impress me more than practical effects. Uh, and mm. uh, just the, the, the gore and knowing that it's not real. I was always able to separate the real and the fantasy, even growing up, knowing that like, those are actors. This is scary. Um, mostly jump scares get me the most. And, um, not that I'm, a, I'm proud of it, but I will totally scream and jump at a jump scare, no matter how bad and expected it is. I will still jump and scream. Um, that's why in, in my season, uh, during the finale, final, um, extermination, we did that haunted house and I knew I was just going to like scream and jump the whole time. And that's all I did was giggle. I jump screaming and giggle and just laugh. <laughs> that's been my, my relationship with horror all my life. Jump, scream and giggle. <laughs> but yeah, practical effects would leads to makeup and leads to, um, knowing that like someone made that and someone created that for the camera for us to believe that. And there was a team involved somehow and there was lighting like, understanding the behind the scenes always got my really big interest like the dvd extras especially when we got dvds or the tv specials on pbs where they'd be like we're on set of this movie i'll be like oh, i'm gonna watch that because i want to know how they made things and i was always very interested in that i can mm -hmm. see that now how that translates into mm -hmm. drag and like the insane meticulous attention so to detail much and like every, to my detriment and it's <laughs> yeah and the props that you can create and just yeah your your skill at building a creating a character and building a world even if it's just a world that's entirely on your mm. body it's yeah thank it's you amazing. uh let's move on to your next Please. item place so up next you've given your place <laughs> which is Santa Barbara, California. Uh, there's two, actually. Oh, and China. And correct. China. And China. Yeah. Just China. We've got, we're very local, <laughs> Santa Barbara, and then China. I'm an international bitch. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Santa Barbara, that was when I was um, right out of high school. My friend, one of my best friends in high school um, went to UCSB and I went to visit her when I was like 19, 20. It's got to be one of the first years she was there. And she uh, came out as gay uh, and then became joined a drag king troupe. And I went to see one of her shows or I don't remember his name as a drag king. Um, and I hate myself for it. But uh, yeah, we went to a little like a, a college drag king troupe. And it was very... Uh, very much you think of like late nineties where it was very, um, stereotypes of pushing stereotypes of masculinity, uh, a, a group drag. If you ever see the, like a drag king to perform, it's usually, uh, not, I don't want to say cheesy in a bad way. Cheesy is good and cheesy is fun. Um, and celebrated that way where they do real basic box step together. And, you know, yeah. it's, it's just, uh, a time to explore and have a good time. It's, it wasn't really, they weren't trying to take it serious. They weren't making money from it. They were just went to a thrift store and bought some boy clothes and drew a pencil mustache on. Um, but there was something about it that really uh, made an, an impact and 
planted a seed. I didn't think about doing that at the time. Um, even when I started to, to explore the thought of doing drag, I didn't even re really remember that I had gone to her show until I started to kind of explore a, a little bit more, but it definitely laid some groundwork. Um, and it's a little blurry, but I'm pretty sure I got drunk off of Apple Pucker and <laughs> made out with a girl on the dance floor of some gay bar that we probably went to. And I think that was my first kiss. I'm a little hazy on the details, but um Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I think I have I always You really went into the deep end though. You're like, I'm gonna go to a drag king show, I'm gonna go to a gay bar, I'm gonna kiss a girl. I'm like you're going to do it all. Yeah. You're going to go full lesbian experience. Go for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so were you, uh, were you out at this point? No. Had you thought, had you really even given it much thought? No. And I actually have um, a blur of timeline between Santa Barbara and China. That's why I'm not sure. I went to visit her like a few times. So I don't remember which visit was the drag show visit, but China kind of is a blurry moment too, because I feel like my first kiss was when I was 21. So that's kind of what I've always told myself. Um, but this assignment of you giving me these moments to think about has really confused <laughs> my brain. <laughs> so I kind of like will give credit to both of these moments and not knowing which one actually came first. Um, I, I kissed this guy. We, we were, he was in a theater from my college that I was in and we went on a date and we made out a little bit and I liked kissing him, but I didn't like that I was who I was kissing, like the actual action of kissing I enjoyed. And then I went on a tour, like a three week tour in China with a college troupe where we had like a cultural exchange. So we toured all the country with a show of our town. Um, which is the most, I, mm. I feel so sad for all those Chinese students who are learning English and trying to catch up with this and it's just our time which is one of the most boring americana <laughs> like such a boring show i feel bad for them now um but it was very much like this is america let's take this to china to show them what america is like and that was not what america was like but um i i had a little crush on the student director and we ended up um hooking up in china and i had a little fling with her on tour so that was my more like my very much sexual awakening to who I was and, and what made sense. Um, because when I kissed her, I realized, Oh, I like the person I'm kissing as well. And not just like the act ah. of it. Um, but again, I, so you hadn't given it, you hadn't given it loads of thought before then you, no. you weren't having a lot of personal reckonings inside yeah, or I, hard, hard. Yeah. Yeah. I had, um, not really had, I had, fake crushes growing up, like on boys. I just kind of said, oh, everyone likes Herman. I'm going to like Herman too. Oh, and then in high school, didn't have crushes on anyone. I didn't even think about it. I was really involved in band and theater and really just kind of creating a performance, trying to learn like singing and choir and really pushing that. Um, so I found a passion for it that I had no interest in, in dating, looking at guys or girls. So really college was where I started to be like, oh, what? Wait, let me connect with, with, with this mm -hmm. part of me too. Um I had Cameron Esposito on the podcast recently and um, Love, presumably yeah. that episode will come out before this, cool. but she was saying to me that it's one of the main differences maybe between people who are sexed as female and people who are sexed as male is that 
when you're queer is that when you're a little gay boy, the world kind of tells you you're gay constantly mm -hmm. because people can see it. And maybe it's, it's often less obvious in little girls, or maybe the world isn't quite as, um, doesn't tell you who you are quite as often. And I don't know, does that ring true for you? And a then, do you think that yeah, kind of plays a point in, in why you maybe hadn't given it a lot of thought until that point? Yeah, there's a lot there. I think that I can relate to, and I think a lot of people can relate to, um, I, in junior high, I had a friend who I was, I probably had a crush on. I hadn't really given it much thought. Um, but I really wanted to, again, bar, copy how she dressed because I was still in that kind of identity place. Um, and during Halloween, I would always get really, really super dressed up. And I got this head to toe clown. My mom made me this costume and I painted my face and I went to school as this like huge energy clown. And she evidently was really afraid of clowns. So I was scaring her running down the hallway, scaring her off her face <laughs> <laughs> as, as one does. And, um, and she was screaming. And all of the cool kids, she, she was friends with the cool kids and they started calling me Dyke. And I didn't understand what they were trying to say, but I knew what, I knew what the intention was and I knew it, it hit, it struck a nerve with me, but I didn't really touch, touch with it yet. Uh, and then in high school, Dyke was thrown at me a couple of times because I had a, a really good friend I hung out with all the time and, um, he ended up coming out as a gay man, but he, they would always call him fag. And so he, he got a lot more of it than I did. And maybe it's because of what we just talked about, how, you're always being told you're gay. Um, as a like a sporty little uh, tomboy, you just kind of use the word tomboy for confident women. Um, when and masculinity in air quotes for people listening is often related to confidence, which is mm -hmm. unfortunate. Um, and so when you have a confident woman, you just think, oh, they're the or a masculine woman, oh, it's just confidence. We'll deal with her mm -hmm. as she grows older and we'll put her in her place. Um, but for little boys, for being feminine, it's looked as a weakness. So you want to correct it right away and snap them out of it. Mm -hmm. So like, don't be weak. You're a man, man up. And it's more like a correction. I would, I would almost feel it feels more like a correction for a feminine man. Yeah. Then, um, we'll deal with it later as a confident girl. Almost. Yeah. yeah. I'm sure lots of women have so experiences where they were corrected to be more feminine um but having a little icons like punky brewster and Farusa balk i i knew that it was okay to be a, a confident woman and be tomboyish and you can yes. still find success in that so what happened after these potent each of your first kisses i remember the other one like, when it happened um nothing like i was obsessed with the girl from China for a while, but she was like, girl, I, I'm happy to have helped you come out, but like, I'm not interested in anything else and had my first little heartbreak. Um, and then I just moved on to explore myself. My, my mom was really sick at the time. Uh, she actually encouraged me to go to China, even though she was going through chemotherapy because she knew it was an opportunity that she didn't want to see me pass up. Um, and she ended up uh, dying shortly after. And when one of her last, uh, surgeries my godmother my, my nina um pulled me aside and she was like are you having homosexual pregnancies <laughs> and i was like uh yeah but i don't know why we're talking about this right now so i was kind of like forced out of the closet for my family um 
which kind of left bad taste in my mouth a little bit. And one can say she was just trying to be helpful to see if I had people to talk to. And, and I think the intentions were uh, there outside of the way I, I took it and kind of lived through that. Did did they actually use the words homosexual (laughs) tendencies? (laughs) Wow. No, it's so straight people are not okay. <laughs> <I know. laughs> so much. <laughs> uh... That's um sorry. That, I I don't mean to laugh because that sounds like it was a really, really hard thing. Yeah, but um, wh- that's what humor does. Humor gets us yeah. through those hard things and it, it eases trauma. So I'd much rather laugh at it now than and look at it lighthearted and to look at it as a, you know, place that brings out other emotions. Let's laugh at, let's laugh at that shit. That shit's funny. <laughs> it's fucking funny. Are you having homosexual yes, tendencies? <laughs> <laughs> you can't laugh at that. Yeah. Let's take a quick break and then we'll be back with your next item. Music. So we're back with Landon Cider, and up next is their album or song. Hmm. And I was really excited when I got this. Um, you've given the gossip, that's not what I heard, and uh-huh. Arkansas Heat. Yes. Oh, I'm such a gossip fan. Are you? Okay. Yes. I, I have. So after I sent that to you, I was kind of cleaning the house and I put on just pretty much the entire discography of the gossip and, um, had my own dance party and it's that it's very much that it's not like you could go out here and like do all these dance moves just one move where you're very stiff with your shoulders back and forth and i was like (laughs) just doing this for like three hours while i'm cleaning the house i'm like i'm not even like the exercise but that's like really the only way you could dance to (laughs) to like there was a lot of shoulder sass a lot of shoulder sass yes everyone listening listening. shoulder sass for sure sidestep and shoulder sass And um, I kind of found the Riot Girl scene right after its peak. Um, so I was at the clubs and found a this kind of niche of, again, strong, confident women um, who didn't care about what you think of them and calling out misogyny and calling out... Uh, elements in our system that were still praising a woman for being a woman or for being a dyke and for being queer and for being a lesbian and and openly talking about uh, lesbian relationships and and love and using pronouns of other women and girls and mm. and things and and I think um I don't know who I was there to see I was at some little like a venue space in LA, East LA somewhere. And, um, with my little group of friends and I don't remember who exactly, I don't think it was, uh, like Slitter Kenny or La Tigra. I don't think it was anyone that, uh, but there's like a whole, a whole series of, of bands, obviously from that, that moment. Um, and the gossip showed up and I was just like, what is this? Like her voice is one of the most powerful yeah. things I've ever heard till this day. Even just listening yeah. to the, the, this, uh, the music, uh, the other day. And I just sat down a couple of times and just listened to her voice. And it's so authentic and again, confident 
woman speaking freely and uh, with her with experiences and positive messages. Like the messages in her music was just always so intense and country and raspy and still very belt like like the ability she has to sing is um reminds me of belting in musical theater and like show tunes and really yeah. like using everything you got with emotion you could hear it and it took me to another place so it was really monumental in um shaping that interest of mine with uh feminism um meets punk rock with all of that grit and I remember going to many shows and discovering um, lots of, of music and people. And my little claim to fame, my wife knows this story because I've, I've told it so many times. But I remember going to a show and always being up in front because I just wanted to look at her. I had this huge crush on Bet, on, on Bet. And I just remember looking up at her and going, and it was a, a pause or a break in the music where we got kind of quiet for that split second. And I just went... I want to have your babies. And she was like, fuck babies. And then she looks at me and she's like, well, you're cute. So maybe I'll reconsider. And I was like, oh, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. <laughs> I was like, oh my God. And my wife just like, you're so fucking weird. <laughs> but yeah, I'm going to die. That's not weird. That's incredible. <laughs> it is incredible, but not weird in a bad way. But yeah. I have pestered her so much to get on this podcast she's like my dream guest oh, for sure love it and i feel i i definitely feel similar to you in that she i i discovered gossip later when i probably was standing in the way of control mm-hmm. oh yeah that was like when she was on video for like mac right and it was like on repeat at the mac yeah. stores uh, i would yeah. go to the mall to go to the mac store to pretend to shop just so i could like see her Look at like on the TVs <laughs> and like see people appreciating it because I was so happy for yeah. them to have like mainstream success you know and it was temporary yeah. but yeah but yeah I've seen her live as well and like she's incredible <sighs> live she's so, so charming so charming like she's she's so talented but she's so like you could just listen to her talk about anything yeah and uh yeah that voice is incredible I uh I saw her a few years ago with her solo album mm-hmm. but yeah they really have this amazing i mean i've i'm always i've been a huge riot girl fan as well just because that meeting of like incredibly good music plus like political awareness plus being presented by people who are marginalized or underdogs it's just like that's just like my my sweet spot right um yeah so i fully hear you on that Mm -hmm. had had you started dabbling into drag at that point is that something that you'd discovered not yet no yeah that was uh my early 20s into mid-20s um and uh yeah she helped me through heartbreaks and celebra- celebrations and their songs even uh just listening to it i got emotional because it was like just so oh, what song is it I don't, I want to tell you about song, but I can't remember. And I don't want to embarrass myself by trying to sing it. <laughs> it would be, wow. That would be like, oh, please, Landon, don't ever sing live if that's how you're going to try. <laughs> but it's just, I had your picture on the wall and I took it down and like, I still, and I, I miss you. And if I see you around, like, you know, it's just one of these like 
very this real moments of like when you break up with someone and especially when you're marginalized and then you have you know when no one in mainstream to really you can identify with the kind of heartbreak that you're feeling and then you have this song that just walks you through it and i even like oh i got emotional just just hearing her belt it out again and, and the moments that that helped yeah. that, that song helped me through my my baby dyke breakups yeah um but i hadn't yeah. started in dabbling in drag yet i had started going to drag shows and watching them and slowly becoming a fan of of the local drag scene here but um hadn't even thought about performing yet that came in my um 20 when i was 29 i was 29 okay mm -hmm. same yeah um well let's actually get into your last item then which maybe is going to take us a little bit closer to the drag <laughs> wow so your last item is your wild card and you've given bandanas, bandanas. you're wearing a bandana currently, i am so and I it's a appreciate. functional because i have a pineapple head right now with my haircut when you get these undercuts with your dyke haircuts um you like slowly start to go higher and higher and so now i'm growing uh -huh. out this space at the sides and i have this really like a so you've got like a a modesty bandana. A modesty bandana, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but they're still very much a part of my whole look. Like I've never left the nineties, the nineties bandanas, like that nineties lesbian. Um, I wear them around my neck. I wear them on my wrist. I wear them. My, my wife wears them around her boots sometimes. Um, it's always been a part of my, my fashion, and uh, more so now because of this hairstyle. So I actually be up to my collection of bandanas. And now I have maybe like 30 from basic styles to like wow. prints that I just kind of bounce around. And it feels so kind of, that's kind of fun to like dip back into the 90s dyke that I used to be and still am and bringing that out. Uh, and fortunately, bandanas don't have anything to do with my drag, but we could definitely pretend and uh, I find a, a tie to that somehow. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. okay. So I think I got it. I think I got it. 90s. Great. 90s. Save this. Yes. 90s lesbian was very punk, like riot punk and uh, riot girl and punk. And then I loved uh, 90s rock. And that's really all I perform nowadays is 90s rock. So I perform in my drag character a connection to bandanas through 90s rock oh, that was really weak i'm sorry <laughs> i bought it i didn't say this that was like I totally bought it that was like a titanic going down but um i'm sure i've seen a look with you in a bandana on dragula but i've probably just invented it was that probably just me at me out of drag it wasn't me in drag okay well let's i mean i love that you've that you are embracing your 90s lesbian aesthetic yeah. and nothing makes me happier than seeing like really visible visibly gay women on the street mm -hmm. like it's it's just it's it's like oh my people oh, right. i'm safe it's just it's just like so it's very very nice for me so please never stop wearing your bandanas <laughs> uh, and deal, I, just for you maybe i'm gonna start wearing them around my shoes because i think that sounds really cool it is really like, cool under the boot yeah like between the heel and the uh-huh yeah 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 that's, that sounds hot mm -hmm. i'm into it um okay but let's talk about drag a bit so when did you get into drag when i was 29 after i got really sick and i wanted to uh do something with my life when i was 
uh, fortunate enough to live it more. And I knew that I wanted to get back on stage. So drag was it. And I um, had already my wife next to me and she was very, she was my girlfriend at the time, but encouraged me. And from the first moment I was on stage, I knew that this was for me. Um, I was tired of playing all that like lady and waiting. And when I was in musical theater, my, I was a, actually a, a classically trained soprano and wow. my, my voice didn't match my look because I was, I looked like the funny best friend who's usually the alto and, but my voice was the classical soprano. So didn't get many parts. Um, there wasn't a lot of parts out there that I was auditioning for, uh, let alone, uh, op- like shown to me. So I had some, some, some fun with playing with the fact that I just get to fuck around with the stories I tell. And I pulled from that inspiration of going to that drag king show. And I was like 2021 20, of that stereotypical king pushing on mass on on stereotypes and most of the time it was like i'm gonna grab my dick and i'm a ladies i'm a ladies man and i'm gonna be like ooh, i'm gonna like play this kind of gross masculinity um and i didn't identify with just playing the masculinity i wanted to fuck it up and i wanted to either push it so much where it was obviously parody and comedic with spoken audio bits and mixes that were like highly comedic or spin it and then be this like super bottom that was like oh do anything you want to me so it was like i always played on on those kind of stereotypes instead of just relied on them um and that really elevated and, and pushed my dragon to different places and like so uh, southern california scene has always been really eclectic and had lots of different styles and we have these amazing um uh shows and artists and the dream girls was a uh, i iconic um cast to be on and if you were anyone you can be a full-time drag entertainer long before RuPaul's drag race if you were on the dream girls you can Mm-hmm. literally perform every night of the week for good coin and start to travel and do Vegas and things. So that was my goal. And the goal to be on dream girls is you had to be, you had to do a little bit of everything. They had cosplay nights, they had celebrity illusion nights. They had crazy Halloween nights. Cause Chad Michaels is a Halloween fanatic and, and she loves to do like Halloween cosplay and things too. So I just really used the dream girls, uh, formula and do everything. And the more I opened up my repertoire to include all these different types of drag, the more opportunities I had and the more gigs I got. Um, and then it just kind of rolled from there. I was, uh, I quit drag. I mean, I quit my, my day job about five years into doing drag, um, and never looked back. And I've had a couple of side gigs here and there, uh, more like I picked up a job at a, at a, um, a suit company that was making a, uh, suits for queer bodies and I wanted to learn how to sew. So I picked up a job there so I could learn how to sew and didn't do very well. So I stopped working because I didn't like it. <laughs> I like the company and what they stood for, but I just couldn't, I wasn't good at sewing and I was always pretty good at picking stuff up. And so when I was not good at it, I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not good at it. <laughs> so I make very little things now under necessity. Um, but yeah, my, my passion for drag has been details and storylines and um, di- diverse approaches. 
Yeah. And the way that you approach like your character as well is something that I've really, I think that's what's so uh, inspiring about you. And it's clearly probably coming from a lot of that, you know, horror that you watched as a kid and Return to Oz and things like that. Mm -hmm. It's just like you create such big, bold characters. And, you know, one of the criticisms that's really unfairly leveled at Kings a lot is that you can't have like you can, it's it has to be smaller because masculinity is is less exaggerated and you really smash that apart thank you I, it's just like yeah it's incredible to watch yeah there's uh, androgyny and masculinity are so much the same in the gay community and to not like understand that that should be equally celebrated and and pushed out even when i play a super masculine character it's usually finding a stereotype and pushing it to a theatrical level and it's mm -hmm. it's it's difficult to do but really not to it's not it's difficult to create but it's not difficult to appreciate um mm. and people who are closed-minded often are just like no kings can't uh they don't do enough they're not they look they're just wearing there's a not, suit there's no glitter it's just they're, they're just putting rhinestones on a suit and it's like yeah you can do that and that is a certain type of of male illusion and, and king um but it's not all of it and people just don't you know it's unfortunate it's very much still we're in a um um male dominated career with chauvinistic and misogyny and it's still even even me pretending to be a dude i still receive misogyny and it's it's in the perception it's not really in the yeah in uh the support because obviously i've been very fortunate to receive support that i never dreamed of receiving from all gender presentations and identities uh equally so i don't i know that my drag transcends through uh that misogynistic curtain but there's still so many people that hold that curtain stiff that aren't powers of control yeah. Yeah, it's baked into every part of our society. Everything. So, yeah, it's a microcosm yeah. of a microcosm of a microcosm. Yeah. yeah. So what can we do to, I think I know the answer to this, but you tell me what you think the answer is. What can we do to create more space for kings and to to do that? Really just, yeah. Um, the first step is, is social media. Uh, look up hashtag drag king, follow, like, comment, help boost their platform, help boost their algorithm, help show by you just liking or commenting something will show the algorithm that they deserve to be seen more. So literally, that's the easiest first step anyone could do. It's free. Um, if you're a show uh, producer, uh, book kings and pay kings and not just one to be to be the token. Um it's very much the same with um, intersectionality and drag and, and booking people of color and uh, cultures and celebrating them. Don't, don't just book one Asian queen and one black queen and one drag king and then be like, look, I have a diverse cast. Like you can book two of the same. You can book two kings in a show. You don't have to just book one, you know, and it's, uh, mm -hmm. I often receive options to perform in things. They're like, oh, I want you to be my king. And the first thing I say is, I don't want to be your king. I want to be one of your kings, you know, and you look at your cast. You just, you just showed me you have five girl, five queens in your cast and I'm the only king. Like in your area, there more than likely is going to be a king that is looking for stage time. Um, if he's not ready to, to be paid yet, you know, they're, they're, everyone needs support and 
given opportunity. Um, so saying, hey, we have a local bar. You can check out that drag stage. I didn't expect to get paid out the gate. I worked very hard to get it. And I come from the school of drag where you... It was, we didn't have social media to depend on to get your face out there to get gigs. Uh, we had to put in the work. You had to go to shows. And even if you didn't have money, you would get there early. Before the cover started, you would have your paint, your face painted so you should show face. And you would just applaud really loud. If you didn't have any money for anything else, you were still putting in the work to really show face. Um, and now we can show face on Instagram. So if that's the first step, then Instagram support is the love. But Booking Kings... And paying kings is really the only way we're yep. going to keep everything going. Yeah. And I think just to reemphasize what you said, yeah, people need stage time to hone their craft. Yes. So if, if you want to see more kings or other kinds of performers in the world, you need to nurture them from the ground exactly. up. Exactly. That's, that's how they get, mm. that's how they get. Yeah. Good. Landon, thank you so much for sharing all of your wonderful items with me today. It's fun. This is a fun uh, yeah. st- uh, research on myself, actually. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, it's therapy. I know. <laughs> Here's, you want to be on my podcast? Yes, I would. Here's homework. <laughs> <laughs> homework and therapy. <laughs> Landon, before you go, will you play a game of But Is It Queer With Me? <laughs> I would love to. Um, I'll go first. But is it queer? 5G. <laughs> We're going to turn into aliens. So, of course, that's queer. I have my antennas growing yeah. in right now. That's super queer. <laughs> yeah. Also, anything that, like, lets us download porn faster. Oh, yes. That's going to be queer. There you go. I love it. <laughs> okay, 5G is queer. You go. Ooh, what did I say? I don't even know where my, uh, where, I can't even remember what I said. Oh, ashtrays. Are ashtrays queer? Ashtrays. Yeah. Are ashtrays queer? Ooh, tough one. I mean, smoking feels very queer because it, it's like dangerous and cool, but it's obviously also really bad for you. So probably smoking isn't queer. And then ashtrays are really ornate often. Mm. Like a really ornate, beautiful ashtray that just feels fancy and queer to me but um an ashtray can also be the most depressing thing you've ever seen yeah that's true especially in a house of someone like, that, like, like a, a lonely yeah. person mm-hmm. yeah or like just a really like like a plastic one that's like full of cigarettes like yeah, yeah. um what do you think see and i kind of i uh, i thought where you were going and then i got uh stoned and then um <laughs> i was like what do you let's speak about ashtrays um and i thought it's like kind of where you discard the things that you don't want from it like i used it up and then i discarded it like the the, the you know the end that's the part i don't like so i think that that part is like a queer experience but it's what you grow from so i'm still let, let's just still say it's not queer yeah oh so you're saying that like an ashtray is it's it's the queer experience because we've all been discarded yeah and that kind of by society i love i mean i want to get into your stone right yeah i'm like a super symbol (laughs) like symbolism so there we go Mm -hmm. definitely not queer yeah let's just go with not queer ashtrays are society yeah and 
and queers are the beautiful burning em- embers of the lit bud. <laughs> wow, we're really stretching right now to make this work. I love it. <laughs> okay, but is it queer? Um, the music of Phil Collins. Oh. <laughs> I I just yeah, like I I also think everything is queer though, like this chair yeah. I'm sitting on right now is queer. This crumpled water bottle is totally so queer. queer. Like to me, everything is queer. Um, but yeah, I mean the name alone, Phil Collins, just makes me think like, super like capital Q. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Um could feel it calling in the air that's, tonight. That's like the call of yes, the queer. You know, and then <laughs> queer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, we don't we don't need to explain it. We can just know it. The music of Phil Collins. The music is of Phil queer. Collins is definitely queer. <laughs> okay, have you got another uh, one? For yeah, me? uh silverware. Silverware. Like fancy dinnerware. Just silverware, but sure. Let's go you can go fancy. Cause well, isn't oh wait? Does silverware not mean it's made of silver? No, so, it just means when you say you, silverware, do you just mean cutlery? Like cutlery. cutlery. Oh, cutlery. yeah, this, I guess you're right. Yeah, yeah, cutlery. No, no, I I think we're just speaking different continental languages. I, maybe, yeah. Um, okay, so oh, um, uh, yes, <laughs> questionable. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm drawing a blank on cutlery. It feels like such a like a basic, yeah. And so anything that feels like really baked into just like everyday life doesn't feel queer to me because it's not special enough. I see. I don't know. What do you think? I think at one point it was uh, new because we literally used to eat with our hands, and so <laughs> uh, using silverware was like oh an upgrade. And I think. Um, queer to me is always like oh well we're an upgrade like <laughs> we are <laughs> upgrade so it's like inherently queer <laughs> um but then like I, I can't i can't not think of like the spawn and the evolution of cutlery or silverware and like sporks do you know what a spork is <laughs> yeah i know what a spork is and that's is. totally like gender queer like it's mixing the two things yes. and they're celebrated and they're like you often see sporks given in that little plastic set for to-go things. Like even in school, like we weren't given forks or spoons. Like it was a spork. A so, beautiful union. Yeah, a beautiful Let's, union. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, so maybe maybe like forks and spoons are not queer. Yeah, but they're sporks. very binary. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Sporks destroy the binary of cutlery. I, I, I agree. There you go. So sporks are queer. <laughs> okay, great. There we got there. Well, Leonard, thank you so much for being on the podcast today. I had a lovely, lovely, lovely time chatting Me to you. Me too. And, oh, you have had such an interesting life. Um, I just think it's incredible. I, well, I just think you're an incredible artist and I'm such a fan of you. So thank you. Um, I really appreciate your time. Uh, how can people support you? What can they do? Um, what do you have to promote? I uh, am on Cameo. I sold, I sell my soul on Cameo. Uh, so you're please welcome to book me for any of your special messages for your friends or family. Uh, my particular love for those are pep talks. I've kind of learned that I love to give just life advice in a really kind of quirky drag related way. And it might be something that I kind of think about doing as like a, like a public speaker, or like a motivational speaker, because I, 
have kind of come up with some thoughts that I'm really, uh, love to share with people when it, when they share with me the situation they're going through. Um, so cameo is one, um, Instagram. I might book you for a cameo pep talk. <laughs> just for that. And just like for the next time I need a little boost. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, and like Instagram and, and Twitter and Facebook and all the t- traditional places that they're all Land Insider, uh, spelled out just one word. Um, and then I will be performing and getting back to stages. I'm booking myself, uh, starting September. So, um, if you would love to have me in your show or if you're an audience member and you have a, a favorite bar that you go to that brings in out of town guests, please let them know to, to bring me out and that you can guarantee so that you tell them that you are going to bring a crowd that will come see me. That's, mm. You know, I would love come to here, come to here. I would love to, but I need someone to bring me out. So I'm opening up my books for starting September and I would love to perform and meet you guys. Amazing. And yeah, you said to me that you're going to be in the UK in October for Heels of Hell. Yeah, I'll be. Um, yeah, so whole, I'm actually on the European extension as well. So I'll be doing UK and, and Europe for the Heels of Hell tour. I'm super excited about. Well, I will be there. I can't wait. Yeah, I'm desperate to see you live. Uh, so I would love it. I can't wait. Thank you so much for everything today, Landon. I really appreciate it. Thank you. This is a great time. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of The Things That Made Me Queer. Before we wrap out the season... I wanted to share some of the things you said made you queer over the course of the the last few weeks. So here we go. Robbie says something about Prince Eric from The Little Mermaid did it for me, which is relatable. Hunk, 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 hunk. Housemother says, seeing Julian Clary on TV when I was about four, I was fascinated. I've had an aversion to the notion of gender ever since. Love that. Um, From a different generation, Spicy Becca says that she was obsessed with California girls when I was nine and had it bookmarked on the family computer. I love that. Um, I mean, the gays were all obsessed with Katy Perry when that song came out, but I love that it was actually indoctrinating the youth as well. Uh, Mandy says, seeing a picture of Janet Jackson dressed as a Rhythm Nation soldier with really short fingernails. I didn't know why, but her, I didn't know why her nails stood out to me at the time, but I kind of got an inkling now. I see where you're going with that, Mandy. Um, it's Caramel says, I don't want to sound cliche, but honestly, nothing. I didn't have an aha moment. Maybe being raised by women, mom, aunties, grandmas, drew me to feminine energy more. Uh, I think that's super common. Not A lot of people don't have aha moments. And I don't even think I do either. I think I just have a lot of memories of things. I was like, oh, I'm interested in that or attracted to that. Um, and, you know, they all form the things that made me queer. Dallas Dixon says, my little ponies and their luxurious, colorful manes and tails. <laughs> I'd style them, brush them, braid them, play with them, obsessed. Um, sounds like the song from Hair. And Vanna Du says, Ryan Philippe in Cruel Intentions and the Green Power Ranger. Although I'm sure what Vanna means to say is Ryan Philippe's butt in Cruel Intentions because that was a butt. And last but not least, Minxie says, Lara Croft, Triangular Boo Bearer. 
<laughs> Minxie, I love that for you. Um, okay, that is it. It's time to say goodbye to the season of The Things That Made Me Queer. Thank you so much for listening. It's been a real treat making these episodes for you and um, hearing these stories from all of my guests. Um, it is a lot of work making these episodes, so it might be a little break before we're back, but um, I'm sure we will be back because I love doing it. Thank you to World of Wonder and thank you to Caveboy who provided our theme music. Um, until we're back, now's a great time to share this season and this series with some friends and loved ones. Um, they've got a whole back catalog to listen to, so please do send it on, share it, let people know about the podcast, and hopefully I'll be back in your ear holes real soon. Until then, stay sparkly, transparent, and cheap. Oh, and queer. Crystal out.